Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. Thank you for joining us. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we want to start off with some announcements because I can forget to do those. But if you would like more information about the show, a nice little weekly snapshot of what we discuss, sign up for our newsletter on our website, gobehindtheballot.com. We give really great snapshots about all that we discuss. So if you don't have the 20, 30 to 40 minutes to listen to this, you have to two seconds to sign up and then two minutes to read it so do that and if you're super fans please share our show with your friends leave us a rating a review follow our social media echo behind the ballot all those wonderful things would be lovely so in this episode we are going to be looking back it is almost a year since we started this show this is going to be our 80th episode so we're like we need to reflect back and talk about where we were where we are now and where we're going in the future and if anything that we've learned through this journey it's that repetition is powerful it really helps us remember all the things we're learning so hopefully that'll be useful to our past listeners and our new ones to help remember with us yeah right highlight themes i've been thinking a lot yeah about what is it that i've learned over this year that we've been at this in these 80 episodes what are the recurring themes so yeah, yeah. and something that we have been hearing a lot getting into podcasting is that podcasting is iterative like you're going to learn it as you do it and we've learned a lot we've learned a lot about how to make the show better but also what our show's about so Nicole what's our show about <laughs> well it has <laughs> evolved um I think where we started no I don't think I know this where we started was really wanting to demystify Texas politics and doing that for ourselves that hopefully would be of value to other people who were listening um coming at politics from a, a vantage point of i don't really understand what's happening here but i do believe that i have the right to understand and that it's okay that i don't know and so let's figure it out together that was where we started and i think that continues to inform everything that we do and the way that we look at this show but we have evolved a bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now, again, those same things in mind, but what's really clarified for us is the emphasis on democracy being really, really at the heart. And we always aimed to be nonpartisan. That's always been a core part of our mission. But I don't know it was defined as clearly as because we believe in the protection of democracy as mm -hmm. it is now. And so I feel like our evolution has been really digging down on what democracy means to us. What does it mean to protect it? What does it mean to not only protect it, but even maybe get to a point where we're exercising it in a way that we've never gotten to see it exercised before? I feel like it's just our dreams and hopes have increased in new and different ways. Yeah, definitely started with like, we're going to demystify Texas politics. And I think we're adding and or like yes and so that we can find our power and collectively use it to improve 
our lives, others' lives, Texans' lives, America, the world, dreaming really big. Um, but so much starts with that base knowledge, which we worked so hard to get in our show. And as a reminder, we started our show looking at public education. We did seven weeks really digging deep into what's a school board trustee? What does the State Board of Education representative do? What is the House Public Education Committee all about? How do charter schools impact public education? I think that really helped lay the groundwork. And I love that we started with public education because to me that is so integral to democracy. Like if we don't have an informed electorate, like the game's over, we've lost. Like that is so critical for us to be in, educated, to elect great representatives. So it's it's somewhere I think we're, we're going to come back to a lot with the show and with future shows, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yes, there's a little nugget of something that's to come. What's yeah. interesting is I don't know that we consciously realized all the implications of starting with public education. It happened to be August, right, which is back to school time. We know your personal story in terms of investigating charter schools and how that really lit a fire for you in terms of political awareness. Like all of those things were definitely front of mind, but I don't think that we truly at that point consciously realized how important public education is. But my goodness, that has grown and grown and grown, not decreased at all. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that that's where we started and it does feel like a thing we will continually come back to. Yeah, I uh yeah, I'm so glad that's where we started and we had so many incredible guests. So and and at the end of our series, our like seven a week arc series, we had a recap episode. So those are a great place to turn if you want to get a tidbit for like where what specific episode should I listen to? But if you're just listening to this show and you're like, "Oh, I completely missed that." go back to the past shows and listen to that particular series. Um, the next one we pivoted into, which again made sense timing-wise, was elections because we were looking at the November midterm elections. So we were like, oh, we should probably talk about voting and the nuts and bolts of it. Because I think for myself, I wrongly assume, like my experience is everyone's experience. Like voting is not hard for me. What's this like voter suppression stuff I keep hearing about? So talking to our guest experts really helped me wrap my head around my experience is not everyone's experience and um, it should, I mean, mine's easy, so it should be easy for them too. Absolutely. That was very demystifying for me, that whole series, because true, I didn't understand. Of course, I had heard the words voter suppression before. It's not that I didn't think it was a real problem, but I didn't understand what it really looked like for people. And so having those guests really explain what that looks like, the ways that barriers can be put in front of people that make it difficult, and then how easy it is to not do it, right, when something becomes difficult. And so that one was really, really illuminating for me. So yeah, I would. that's a good one to go back to if those things that we're saying right now resonate with anybody who's listening you know yeah and I don't think I realize like I'm not the kind of person that gets targeted so that's probably why my experience is more or less frictionless but when I stepped out of the normal voter I did kind of feel the friction and that was when I was pregnant during the pandemic and I needed to vote and I decided to vote by mail but Texas is very limited on how you can vote by mail you have to have a disability or I think be a senior or a student. So it's a very narrow grouping of people that's permitted to do this. But I was like, oh, is pregnancy a disability-ish? Like, I really don't want to go out into the world with this new virus and being pregnant. 
So I voted by mail and selected the disability box. And I remember we talked to Representative Vicki Goodwin, and she fought hard to add pregnancy to the to the mail-in criteria categories so that people like me, who like to follow the rules, could safely check pregnant and be fine. But the argument was, well, pregnant people can just say they're disabled. And it's like, but we're not. <laughs> so why are you making us do something not right, necessarily? And then I felt that um, tension that I'm sure other folks feel when they're like, am I following the rules? Could I get in trouble? Yes. I don't want to go to jail, be convicted of whatever, just to do my basic civic duty. Yes. Which also I'm having another theme, you know, kind of bubble up in my head when it comes to that, which is the other thing that we've noticed through all of our series is that confusion, right? And how that confusion breeds a lot of fear and makes people take steps back, right? It really contracts people's willingness to do things because they don't want to get in trouble. I think overall, most people are rule followers who want to do the right thing and want to do good things. And so when there's confusion, that creates this self-censoring. Yeah. Right. You hear in the Stone Age a lot, like cruelty is the point. And now it's like, and chaos is the point and confusion is the point. And um, uh, like that doesn't feel good to me. So I think that's part of our drive too, is we want to cut through the crap. We want to understand things. And when we don't understand them, say legislators, this should be clear. Yes. Come on. Yes. There's, well, I was going to say, but this refutes what you were just saying, right? There's no point in having things be confusing, but I get that begs the question. Okay, so then why? And sometimes it does feel like, well, the, the point is for it to be confusing. So, Mm-mm-mm. oh boy. Well, elections was a great one. I learned so much. And um, we had Emily Eby, who is our guest in that series. And she's in our current series, the 88th Legislative Session, giving us updates on the current laws with elections. So, we had a returning guest. So yeah. shout out to Emily. We love uh, Emily. Yes. But after elections, we left that and we moved into culture wars, which, um, oh man, I learned so many things in that series. What, what do you, what, what are you, what are you still thinking about, Nicole? So many things. I think, I mean, I'll jump back a little bit and think about why we pivoted to culture wars and because I think both of us had a lot of reluctance about that because it those are some choppy waters right it's it's tough to wade into them and feel as if I didn't want us to be like jumping on a bandwagon just to sort of create more controversy I wanted us to be additive to conversations and highlight things that feel important and things that matter. So we had some reluctance about that, but in the end it felt inevitable maybe is the word that if we don't ask questions and find out things about these culture war issues, we're just sort of ignoring what's actually happening. And um, so I guess, you know, if I'm, if you're asking what I learned, we just kind of tapped into it. I mean, I feel like a, a huge theme of that series was learning that so much of the legislation that has passed in the state of Texas has created a lot of confusion and chaos. And it really feels like it's by design. Because again, that confusion and chaos causes people, institutions to self-censor and to do fewer things than they might have been willing to do in order to not get in trouble or do things that are 
illegal or unethical or whatever the the fear is that's been created by that confusing legislation so that was really fascinating to me I think I thought it was going to be I don't know it's almost like I think I thought it was going to be more black and white like this is right and this is wrong um but it it, it wasn't I think anyway mm-hmm yeah um the big thing that's coming across my brain right now is christian nationalism i think that really is the highlight of all things culture wars at least that i took away from the episodes when you look for the through line um and that's something that i think we're still wrestling through and deconstructing and figuring out how do we make sense of that how do we talk about that and not make people shudder or 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 turn their ears off because it has the word Christian in it. Um, as someone who grew up as a Christian, like I, I think I feel that like, Oh, what's happening here? But it's not, it's not an assault on Christians. It's, it's the Christian nationalism together. Yes. That is something to be on alert about. Right. And it's okay to ask questions about ideologies that you can I was going to say that you can feel, but it's more than a feeling, right? There is actual evidence, ideologies that are seeping into political life and slowly, maybe even sometimes not so slowly, becoming the underlying foundation of so many of the confusing laws and arguments that we're having. And yeah, it's like, it is, it's a through line. It's like, what? I don't understand why this is happening. And then when you learn about Christian nationalism, oh, I see where this is coming from because it's the thing that unites so many of these controversial and confusing things that are happening all around us. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing how ubiquitous it is. And it it sometimes feels like it happened overnight and then you realize, oh, no, 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 this has been going on for a long time. It's just that it's really risen to the surface and folks who believe in those ideal that ideology have really amassed a lot of power. Right. And there's so much power and money on that um, team, I guess, for lack of a better word, who can prop up candidates that support their vision. And I think that's a real frustration that we have is like, it'd be one thing, I suppose, if generally we all were like, yeah, this is great. We want these discriminatory laws uh, generally, but most Texans don't. Like, that's the thing. We, we're, we're sort of like a live and let live state, maybe even country, but these laws are not in that um, vein. These laws are very constrictive about who can do what, um, taking decisions away and rights away and power away. And I just like, can't stand by and let that happen I have to you know we deserve a voice collectively and if and if we don't like that we should be able to stop that but we can't because we don't have the means at this point in time it feels like yes which highlights another theme of all of that which is the appearance of it being a grassroots movement only to discover that it is not actually it's very few people with a lot of money and a lot of power and so that's the other thing that has been very confusing and unsettling is is that since that it is ubiquitous it does pervade so much of our lives so then you my first thought I think before what we've learned is 
well, then this must be what people want. Oh, uh, that doesn't feel good, but okay. And then only to learn, no, that's not true at all. It is very few people. It is a very elite bunch of people. They would never call themselves elite, but a very elite bunch of people with a lot of money who are really good at making things appear to be much bigger and much broader than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and I'm just thinking too how it feels like the silent majority, like that's who we're trying to reach, those who want to be more involved because that's the only way that we correct the ship. At least, I, well, one of the ways I think that we correct, correct the ship is telling folks who have opted out, like you can't opt out anymore because we will wake up one day and be in a place that we don't want to be in. We don't want our kids to be in. But little by little, our rights are being eroded and it's not a good path. It's not a good path. Yes. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> after culture wars, should after we keep moving forward? Because clearly this is something we could go on and on about. Yes. Where do we go next? Well, then, oh, I don't know. Should we talk about events first? We Well, we moved on to food insecurity. That, again, was not necessarily something that we saw from the outset, but became the next perfect place to go because we had an opportunity to host a panel at South by Southwest. And maybe you want to talk about how that came about. Yeah. Um, with the podcast, um, we were looking to reach a broader audience. You know, what can we do to just get out into the world more? And I was fortunate to have a friend who worked for South by Southwest. She told me that they were still filling panels after the panel picker had closed where the public gets to decide who's going to speak at South by. And she let me know that there was an opportunity to civic engagement and track for us to potentially be involved. And it was either to talk about food insecurity or I think the housing shortage and food insecurity felt like the better path for us. Although I would love to talk about the housing shortage one day um, because of volunteer work I had done with this friend where we helped provide meals to an elementary school that had a high um, low socioeconomic status enrollment of students so I was like, okay, I actually do want to learn more about this. Like, what is SNAP? Uh, how do people supplement their meals who are in very limited budgets? What's the history like? How do we get these programs? And we were so fortunate to find incredible panelists who were on the podcast, educated us, which really prepared us for the panel, but hopefully more broadly for our audience. Um, because it was just one of those things where it, it, it was this just this I guess this theme of precarity, like, is this by design that we have people who are perpetually hungry? And I think our answer kind of landed on yes, sadly. Um, and then, of course, the next question is, well, how do we change that? So I really appreciated um, just getting my brain thinking in that way that it hadn't before. Yes, you highlighted a really important theme of that one. It sounds so cynical, right, to say that it does once again, feel like that that precarity is by design, but it's hard to turn away from that as being the actual answer to the question because we know that we live in a state of plenty, right? We've talked about the, the budget surplus plenty of times, and yet we just keep seeing these issues around poverty ignored, 
and food insecurity, of course, being a huge one. So yes, the conclusions of that series were stark, but so important. Like it definitely changed how I see the world. I was gonna say in a good way, that's that's probably not the right phrasing, but I think in a, in a more informed way mm-hmm. is probably the way to, to put that. And so for me, what jumped in my head is, and I can't remember who first said it within that series, and maybe there was only one person, maybe it was Adam Johnson mm-hmm. from Citations Needed when, and I think he said this, that these choices that we see people living in precarity, people living without house, housing, um, people living in poverty, you know, our minimum wage being as low as it is, that these are political choices. And that's the thing that has just played in my head again and again and again, that we could make different choices. This could look different. This could be different. And that's a real heartbreaker for me to think about how these things are political choices. Right. And we, we heard that again in our episode from our friends from Every Texan talking about oh, yes. political choices. Adam might have said it in the beginning of the series. And it's so true. It's it's crazy to think that it's not like, oopsie, here we are, but an intentional decision to limit resources for certain people because they need to work harder or because whatever the ideology is behind it and a lot of folks suffer in the end many times children and it's just so sad because it's like it doesn't have to be this way it can be different some states are making it different like minnesota the governor there recently decided to i think offer universal meals to children breakfast and lunch it's like we we could do that we have money we pay for Operation Lone Star here in Texas to protect the border. I mean, there's money. And that's the other thing. This, this like, it's expensive to be cheap thing I keep thinking about when it comes to policy and how by decide, by deciding in this political choice not to feed kids when they're young, what does that lead down the road? And we talked about this with surplus commodities, malnutrition, you know, kids having just terrible health, health outcomes. And it's not until legislators really like dig in and say these consequences are dire why don't we do the smart thing and catch it early and set them on a better path but it's it's still like the lessons we have to learn again and again because i don't know we're hard-headed but i mean there's lots of answers to that (laughs) to that that are not pretty but no i mean that's true right the truth is we do all pay so how do you want to pay, right? Do you want to be proactive, meet people's needs, give them a quality of life that allows them to live with dignity? Or right, do you want to pay further down the line when people have been starved of resources, when they are in such poor health that they have to use an emergency room as, you know, kind of a regular doctor's visit and you know, they're not educated because it's been too hard to go to school all this time. And so then maybe they turn to a life of crime. Like in some way we are going to pay the price and goodness, wouldn't it feel better if we proactively met people's needs and allowed them to live with dignity? Like that is good for all of us. I think it's just so wild to me. And yeah, this is just an ideological thing, but it is wild to me that that isn't the choice that we would make. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, well, we're going to keep digging in and, and, and maybe tapping other people and saying, you're what 
us, right? And they're like, actually, yeah, like we do need to get better legislators in there who are proactive and are moving things towards progress in a way that helps folks and doesn't harm them. Um, but I guess from here, we can transition into our series that we're currently doing, taking a little break for this episode, but we're talking about the 88th legislative session, which is what happened very recently here in Austin, Texas, where all the legislators came to the Capitol, passed bills, didn't pass bills, decided what the trajectory of the state is going to look like. And we just wanted to know, okay, how does that impact me? Because this stuff's, like we said, confusing, chaotic. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't feel accessible so we're doing our best to bring in experts to i don't want to say dumb it down but put it in plain english <laughs> yes summarize it <laughs> make it so that we have a sense of what happened my goodness gracious what a session um you and i both spent some time at the capitol so we got to see how a lot of this has happened and how a lot of it works um that was it, it has it has been a time, I will say. We were on a little bit of a show hiatus, so we got to really dedicate some time to to showing up there at certain points. But um, I'm so glad that we have people who are kind of taking these issue areas and summarizing it because it is really difficult to wrap my mind around all the things that happened. There's no, there's I don't see how one person could ever sort through all of the bills that were filed and what went where and how far it got and did this one get to committee did it get any kind of a hearing did it get right on the house floor i mean it is this really convoluted complex process and so this has been so important for me to see how it all actually shook out i felt like i was keeping pretty good tabs but i've still learned a ton from the people that we've heard from that's been really informative and important yeah I'm so appreciative to who's spoken to us and who's lined up because it did give me a sense of, okay, now I know what's going on where I'm the kind of person where I'll try to read articles and I'll try to listen to other podcasts and I'm still a little lost and then I get upset. I'm like, am I dumb? Like, why is this so difficult? Um, And I have to believe it's not me. I think it's just people like, you know, in your classroom when the teacher's like, does everyone get it? And everyone's like, "Uh uh-huh. But... (laughs) You know, Nicole, your teacher. Oh, I do. Do they know? Probably not. Uh, No. Um, Like, for example, I went to this forum yesterday about property rights, and they kept talking about what we're hearing about right now, which is like compression versus raising exemptions. And I'm like, can someone please explain compression to me? I don't get it. Is this good or bad? Can you be like, if your house costs this, you're going to pay this. What with compression, you're going to pay this. Like, it doesn't make sense. And... Hopefully in our show, when you listen, you're like, ah, thank you. I yes. Get it. And unfortunately, sometimes the answers might be, we don't know and nobody can seem to explain it, but we sure need to keep asking the questions. Mm-hmm. I think of that when you just now talked about compression, because we had somebody try to explain it to us and he was doing his best and he couldn't help but say, this is very confusing. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's also one of those another one of those things where it's hard to know is that the point and we're just supposed to believe what we're told yeah and it is so confusing that you don't even know the right questions to ask you know you don't know what you don't know and so maybe it seems really good now but what's gonna happen five years down the road I don't know I don't know yeah and then uh, sometimes I'm like I just want to throw my hands up and say I'm just not gonna understand compression but then I'm like no I want to understand I have you know a good stubbornness in me I suppose um, so we're going to understand. 
we're gonna find people who understand that's can a big stay it. tuned right <laughs> we're gonna try we are definitely gonna that's try um so there's more episodes to come in our 88th legislative session series they're gonna be great if you have any special requests let us know and we'll make sure we cover them um and then where we go next with go behind the ballot is a little bit of a question mark but we are going somewhere next with a particular podcast that we're working on Nicole. oh i'm gonna <laughs> intro it okay toss it to you yes I can never remember what little kind of tidbits we've dribbled out. So I'm going to pretend we've done none because maybe we haven't. But we have both been interested for a while in doing something more investigative. And we, something, of course, has landed in our lap that's probably landing in a lot of other people's minds and laps um, across Texas, which is the issue of educational vouchers or also known as educational savings accounts, ESAs. If you paid any attention to Governor Abbott's speeches, he spoke a lot about wanting to see vouchers passed in Texas. And what we're talking about is taking public education money and the way that it's presented is that it follows the student so that parents can take that money that is allotted to their child and spend it however they want. They could take it to private school. They could keep it at their local ISD. They could use it for homeschooling supplies. The money follows the child, and that's kind of the selling point, right, is that then parents have full freedom and choice, and their money is their money, and they get to use it however they like. We have some serious concerns about the reality of that, and so we want to do an investigative podcast that really answers the question about whether vouchers are good for Texas public education. What is the role of public education? What is the purpose? And is this good for our state or not through the lens of democracy? Because as you reminded us at the beginning of this, like where we started this podcast was about public education and the reality that in order to have democracy, it requires educated citizenry that understands the issues, that understands their civic duty, that is willing to engage and make this democracy work. And so this is the perfect next thing for us to do. Mm-hmm. I think something we also want to look into with this particular investigative podcast is the role of the public good and what's at stake when we lose a public good, which is very much the future if vouchers are implemented. And other states have implemented vouchers. They, they have universal voucher programs. There are already consequences that they're dealing with. We have not here in Texas yet said this is gonna happen, although the governor very much wants it to happen. So what can, like, what can we see in the crystal ball when we look to Arizona, when we look to Florida? And do we like this for our state? Uh, if you can't tell, we don't like it. But we're going to follow that through line and also look at the history of vouchers. When did this even come about? Um, so we'll look a little bit into the history of public education. And all roads seem to lead to Brown versus Board of Education. Um, but I think it'll be super fascinating. We've already been doing some research. And the things we learn are like, ah, of course this character comes up here. And of course, you know, this means that. So I'm excited. And I think our listeners are going to love it as well. Yes, it is definitely, we've seen some repeated themes of things that we've already learned on our podcasting journey. And we've also had some really fascinating surprises, uh, things that we 
had no idea about, but that really informed this conversation. So I think it's going to be really interesting, super compelling. And so we're excited to to do that, right? That's a real like leveling up thing for us is yes. to, to go deep on a, a, an issue in this way and do it as a, a more narrative form instead of kind of weekly conversations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it'll be great for us and our listeners and hopefully our state more broadly. There's some podcasts that have been released recently that legislators are listening to and they're actually informing policy. And I'm like, whoa, that is so powerful. So if we could get to that level, that would be the dream. But you know, right? We'll I know. Go. I think we might as well be explicit about that. We, our real hope is that people listen, and they take that message, you know, out to other people. That it resonates with them, and they hear how important this issue is, and so that we become this lowercase D Democratic army that is really fighting for what we believe in. Yes, absolutely. It'll be incredibly informative. So that'll help you be empowered. So they know what you're talking about when you are interacting with your neighbors or your representatives or whoever has influence over this topic, because I mean, billions of dollars are at stake. This is like the golden goose that so many people want to get their hands into. And we need to ask, are we ready? Are we prepared to sell that off? And we're going to do it. So it's exciting. It is exciting. Yes. Well, we've made it, Nicole, nearly a year. 80 episodes in. I love it. I love all that I've learned. I just feel, I don't know, like a more whole person. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. It has really changed how I, how I look at politics. It just, I feel more included, right? And, And I recognize that I had to include myself. Yeah. There's nobody's gonna knock at my door and invite me in. I have to just bring myself to the table and that has been really empowering and important and I hope that people listening start to feel that same sense of belonging mm-hmm. um, and that and honestly we do have to do it for ourselves <laughs> yes we do belong but we also have to kind of like knock on the door of politicians and our government and say hey hey I belong I'm a part of this thing and you need to listen to me so it this has really helped me understand that I have the right to do that absolutely yep and there's still people at the end of the day believe it or not as much as I think we can imagine the good guys and the bad guys it's like there's still people who are persuadable and can make decisions that make sense or don't make sense so there's always hope to get their ear and say your piece so true yeah well we'll leave it there as a reminder sign up for our newsletter 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 <laughs> go behind the ballot.com we would love to hear from y'all thank you for tuning in and we will be back next week thank you everybody for joining me nicole abshire and my co-host claire campos o'neill on go behind the ballot hopefully we've demystified some little portion of texas politics and we hope that you'll do more with us check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.